Pastor Brent, if you're new, happy to have you here today with us. I'll add one quick little personal invite. We have a welcome lunch for new people that's going to be happening at uh, my house. Uh, Sarah and I would love to have you over. It's on the 21st after church. So there's some information in the back about that. So you can check that out. It'd be wonderful to have you join us. Um, well, again, I'll join my voice to the chorus. Happy Mother's Day. Um, I just want to say I am so thankful for the women in our church. So thankful for you. So, Kim, yeah. <laughs> for all of you uh, mothers, grandmothers, aunts, spiritual mothers and sisters, all of you women are a tremendous blessing to our church family and to me, and I'm so, so thankful. And, and friends, God has uniquely created you in his image to bring him glory through your womanhood. So thank you for your sacrificial love and care, your skills and gifts, and your commitment to Christ and your unique contribution to this church family. It's really wonderful. So, so grateful. All right, well, this morning we are taking a break from the Gospel of John to start a new series that we're calling Summer Seminars, Foundations of Faith. Now, you might be looking at me going, it's only May 14th. Well, we love summer so much that we're going to just pretend like it's summer already and just get going, all right? I see all the blooms out there and all the trees all greening up. Okay, so we're going to be doing a series this summer called Summer Seminars, Foundations of Faith, and taking a break because we're right at, at the Gospel of John, we're right at the beginning of chapter 13, and the rest of chapters 13 through 17 is the upper room discourse, and we're going to kind of treat that all at once later on in this fall. Now, here's the vision for the series that we're going to do. It's so important in the world today to ensure that we are on a solid foundation as disciples of Jesus Christ. The statistics on biblical literacy are staggeringly bad. Like most of us, many of us, we, we don't know our Bibles. We, we can struggle to summarize the gospel or explain the basic truths of the faith. And when you ask questions like, how do I know the Bible is true? Or what does it mean to be a disciple? Or how does my faith intersect with my work or my household? Many of us can struggle to know how to answer these important issues. So we've been wanting to do what we call a foundations class for many months or years now. And, and rather than scheduling a, a bunch of smaller classes, like 20 of them for, for all of us, we just decided to make it into a sermon series and walk through it all together as a family so that we can offer these topics in a way that all of us can get on the same page and walk through these foundations together. And then we'll offer it on an ongoing basis later. So here's the schedule of what we're gonna do. It's gonna be on the screen here. There's two parts to the series. We're gonna first address foundational questions about God's story, such as what is the gospel? What is the Bible? What is theology? What is spiritual growth? What is the church? What's the church's design and mission? And then how do we live together as the church? Then we're going to, in the second half of the summer, talk about some biblical perspectives on different things in life. So we're going to apply those foundational questions to important issues we face, such as biblical perspective on work and fruitfulness, worship and generosity, suffering and perseverance, Worldview and culture, conflict and forgiveness. We're going to apply it to marriage and family, embodiment, what it means to, to, have a, to be a, a, a whole human being. To, and we're going to apply it to civic engagement. Now, as you 
can probably see this isn't meant to be exhaustive, but these give us an opportunity to dive deeper in what it means to walk in faithfulness to Christ amidst the challenges of this world. So we're going to also experiment with something new this morning, which is that we're going to, on the back of your sermon handout or on the back table, there's some extras. If you need one, raise your hand. There's a little half sheet that has some sermon notes. And on the back are questions that you can interact with or jot some notes down as I'm going along in the sermon. And after the message, we're going to transition directly to a time of Q&A and interaction and application during the service. And then we're going to close with some music and some uh, uh, prayer and such after that. So the purpose here is to bring clarity to these passages of scripture that we study this morning, to make it a little bit interactive, to apply the truths and live in light of the truths that we encounter. And it's an opportunity to respond to biblical truth and to let the message of Christ dwell in us richly as we admonish and teach one another, as Paul said in Colossians 3. So it's not time for soapbox. It's rather a time for testifying to what God is teaching you today with our brothers and sisters. So I'm really excited to try that, okay? All right, let's dive right in to our first week here in this series. Now we're going to set the stage by walking through an overview of the biblical story. And this is God's story. Because what we're going to see in our text this morning is a radical and transformational truth that God has spoken. He has revealed himself and his purposes. And the scope of history is not mere happenstance, friends. It is the unfolding of his sovereign plan uh, of the almighty and gracious God who's redeemed us for relationship with him for his glory forevermore. So, grab your Bible. Let's open to Hebrews chapter 1. So, if you need a copy of the Bible, raise your hand. Love to have you follow along and see the words today. So, Hebrews chapter 1, it's towards the end of your New Testament. So, if you're thumbing through, um, what we're going to do today is read a short passage from the opening letter to the letter of the letter to the Hebrews that's going to give us a solid foundation to understand salvation history as God's story. So, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Listen to these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right. There's three foundational truths we're going to see in this opening paragraph of the book of Hebrews. So let's, let's dive straight into it, okay? The first thing we're going to see in the text today is that God is a speaking God. Verse 1. Now look back at verse 1 with me, all right? In the original language of this text in Greek, as it is written by the writer of Hebrews, there's an alliteration of five words that all start with the letter P. Now we don't see it in English, But these five words are in this order, all right? Many times, 
many ways, long ago, ancestors, prophets. So in the original language, it was, it was five words that start with P all in a row. And it was grabbing your attention. And the first thing you read in this letter is grabbing your attention with these, uh, these words. And, and right smack in the middle of all of these words is the verb, God spoke. And the writer of Hebrews is doing this on purpose, so intentionally, to show you uh, this important truth that God is a God who has revealed who he is. And so here's the question we have to ask. Why is it such an important truth that God has spoken? We need to go actually all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to gain a grasp on why this is so critical. So let me walk you through a little bit of the story here, all right? If you go back in your mind's eye, back to the, the beginning of the Bible in, in Genesis chapter 1, we see this simple phrase of how the Bible opens, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God is eternal. He's preexistent. He's set apart. He's sovereignly powerful over all the material world. He existed before anything else. He is eternal. And friends, he made everything out of nothing. Okay, I love this. The opening chapter of the Bible repeatedly uses this phrase, and God said, over and over, and God said, and friends, he spoke and everything came into being. He said, let there be light. He said, let there be water. Let there be land. Let there be plants. Let there be living creatures. And the culmination of it all was these words. Let, the, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, friends, the text goes on in Genesis. I just love this. It says, it says that God made us to be fruitful for his glory, to be his co-rulers and stewards, to work and keep this place, his kingdom, as we rest in the glory of his personal presence day by day. But what happens is sin and evil entered through the deception of Satan and the doubt and rebellion of Adam and Eve. But God didn't leave us to die in our sin or this world to rot in evil. His plan all along is to redeem a people, starting with Abraham, who would receive his good word through Moses, the law at Sinai, and then walk in his ways as a light to the nations. But they continued to fail. And the prophets brought a word from the Lord of the unfolding plan that God would bring his anointed one, a Messiah, who would be the definitive word from God, revealing God's plan to destroy evil and sin and death forever by shining God's light into the darkness once again. And this is why the Apostle John starts his gospel with these words. You'll see it on the screen. In the beginning, where have we seen that before? Genesis 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, this is an act of new creation. The dawning of the 
pinnacle revelation of God as God once again speaks into the evil and chaos and darkness of this world with his eternal word that brings his everlasting light to this world. God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so this sets the foundation, friends. God is a speaking God. He has spoken. And what we see now is the writer of Hebrews shifting gears in verse 2 to say that God is not only speaking, but he has spoken definitively through his son. Look at verse 2. I want to read it again for you. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Okay, I want to point out a couple uh, key words here. In these last days is a key phrase from this verse in verse 2. All right? Now, if you, you need to know this. If you go back to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the prophets would frequently use words like, in that day. There's some 73 times or more that the prophets use this phrase, in that day, and it is always forward-looking, to a future day when God would definitively act to save his people. So the prophets would repeat this over and over. In that day, God will save. And friends, what the writer of Hebrews is describing here is that that day has come through Jesus. That day that they looked forward to, that where God would act definitively, God has spoken. The word has been made flesh. In Jesus, we see the ultimate revelation of the eternal, preexistent, all-powerful God. But he's walking the earth, fully God, fully man. How incredible is that? This is why the Apostle Paul, as he's helping the early church understand this foundational reality, he records in the book of Colossians a hymn of the early church. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Here's what these early believers likely sung in their church. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, friends, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the definitive word from God. They are, they are a, the pinnacle act that inaugurates a new creation. They are causing us, it's causing us to be born again by the Spirit of God when we confess our sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, friends, the definitive revelation of God's plan through Jesus ties together the whole biblical story beginning to end. It's the 
pinnacle, the, the peak, the, the, the climax of the whole story that makes it all make sense. See, friends, the Bible begins with an act of creation. Sovereign God speaking things into being. And the Bible ends with an act of new creation. God, once again, having spoken by his son, the very living word, making you and me new creations and then redeeming this whole place. Friends, the purpose of all of this is to glorify God. And the result, the end of all history is that every knee will bow to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know, friends, why we exist. It's not a mystery. The Bible tells us and God has revealed a purpose of why we exist. It's to bring him glory. And then results, the, the telos, the, the goal, the direction that history is moving is that every, every knee will bow to the king. This is the story of the scriptures beginning to end. You can go to that next slide there, Nathan. Friends, as the writer of Hebrews says in verse 2, Jesus is the heir of all things. And it was through Jesus that God made the universe. And by his triumph over sin and death, he's the inheritor of all of creation, the very creation he spoke into being. And that includes you and it includes me. Friends, at the end of the day, you belong to Jesus. He made you. He calls you. He can redeem you. And friends, now, when we talk about where we are now, now we live as the church, Christ's body, his bride, during these last days, as the writer of Hebrews says, awaiting when he will return to judge, to raise us to resurrection life, to achieve the renewal of all creation, to make his supremacy over all things final. And it's this supremacy that the writer of Hebrews shifts to now. So let's go to verses 3 and 4 and talk about this third foundational truth we see here, which is the supremacy of Jesus. Now, I want to point out four things that come in these two verses, all right? Four specific ways that the writer of Hebrews explains Jesus' supremacy using very poetic language. Okay, the first is that Jesus is the supreme being. Okay, look at the text there in verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now, I want to draw your attention to the words exact representation because in the ancient world, these Words, exact representation, it was commonly used, um, the, the word representation was commonly used to describe the impression or the mark that was made on a coin. So think about the ancient coins, just like we have coins today. They would stamp words or etch uh, words or, or put the imprint of a, a ruler on their coins. And this word representation is the etching or the impression the words and images that you see on a metal coin. So there, there's a Puritan theologian and pastor named John Owen. And John Owen wrote about this particular phrase relating in, in this passage in Hebrews. And what he does is he connects it to the shining of God's glory above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies of the temple. 
Okay, it was said, friends, that above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies of the Temple, between the cherubim, that an extraordinary brightness shone forth from above the Ark. And that this was the visible reminder, the visible reality of the presence of God, and, and they called it the Shekinah glory of God. And the high priest, who would only enter that Holy of Holies once per year, would wear, and this is John Owen tells us about this, would wear on his forehead a golden plate that was inscribed in Hebrew with the words, Holy to the Lord, which means set apart, purified. And John Owen says that, 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 he, that the writer of Hebrews uses this language of representation or of an imprint or a, an impression or a mark here to remind us that the priests were inscribed with holy to the Lord on their foreheads. But now, the high priest to end all high priests... The exact representation, inscription, and etching and imprint of the holy presence and being of God is here in the flesh. When we say the exact representation of God in his being, there is no other God but Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to see the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's no other God hiding behind him. You know Jesus. You know who God is. He is shining forth the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, putting his holiness on display. He's the supreme being. That's his first way that we see his supremacy. Okay? Second thing. We see that he has supreme power. Look at the rest of verse 3. Or the middle of verse 3. That Jesus is, the text says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Friends, these few words are absolutely radical. Do you understand the gravity of the, this statement? See, the created world, I want to be really clear here. The created world does not run independently by some abstract laws of nature. As though it stands on its own. There are repeatable, observable patterns and laws. Of course there are because God is a God of order. But friends, the whole universe was created by the personal and powerful word of Jesus when he spoke it into being. And it is sustained moment by moment by the same personal and powerful word of Jesus. It is dependent on his will for its functioning and preservation. And friends, that means you and me. Every breath you take is by the sustaining power and will of Jesus. Whoa. He's the supreme power. Okay, that's the second one. Let's look at the third one. He is the supreme authority. The text in the end of verse 3 says, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. See, Jesus is supreme as Savior and Lord. And you see those two things in this very phrase, in this sentence, all right? He's Savior because he provided purification for sins. 
And he is Lord because he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven with all authority. Whoa. Okay, fourth. He has the supreme reign. Look at verse 4. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, if you remember, some of you were here when we did our Hebrew series. There's actually a, a theme of the uh, nature of who the angels are compared to Jesus and who we are in the next chapters of Hebrews. And so that's a thing you could look up later if you want to. But just to summarize, it was commonly held in Judaism that angels were the mediators of the Old Covenant. And Jesus is now, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is that Jesus is now the mediator of a new covenant, a new covenant that's superior. In every way, he is superior to the old, and it's superior for these reasons. It's a once-for-all sacrifice with perfect forgiveness. The power of sin, death, and evil are defeated forever. It results in inner heart transformation. We're born again as new creations. And we're indwelled by the Spirit, empowered to be like Christ, and resting in His holy presence forever. This is the glory of the new covenant. You see, friends, the Bible's grand storyline is about God's presence. Listen carefully, because you want to get an idea of what the whole trajectory is across the scriptures. The story begins with God creating this world and creating us as his image bearers who were made for communion with him. And when the relationship's broken, when we're corrupted in our inner being by sin, the only way to be near his holy presence in the Old Testament was through the system of sacrifices at the temple in the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies is where God's presence dwelled, but it's separated by a curtain and protected by rituals because we are impure. But when God himself came to dwell among us, the word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, when he died, the curtain of the temple is torn in two. When the spotless lamb dies on the cross as a substitute for our sin, through his resurrection and ascension, he breathes his spirit on us. His presence is not locked in that holy of holies anymore. It dwells in us. He dwells in us. And we who are washed clean by the blood of Jesus, received by faith, have the intimate presence of God once again dwelling in us as a deposit and guarantee of the face-to-face -face presence of God in the new heavens and new earth. We will be with him forever in his holy and loving presence. This is the story that God has written now as we go through this series and what we're doing is getting the lay of the land of the story of Scripture today. We're going to talk about, again, what is the gospel? What's theology? What is the church? These kinds of things. I prepared a couple resources, and some of you have seen these already, but I prepared a couple resources that illustrate the grand story of Scripture, God's story. Now, the first is a diagram for all of you spreadsheet people. 
Spreadsheet people? Okay, yeah, I saw some fist bumping in the back back there. That's fantastic. Okay, it was handed out to you, but it looks like this. You'll see it on the screen here. This is a, a diagram of the whole scope of the scriptures and the story of what God has done through the various steps along the way that helps to illustrate what God has done in this, the kingdom pattern, the kingdom established, promised, foreshadowed, at hand, and consummated, and the redemptive acts that you see in scripture. So I hope that this could be a, a good resource for you to get a, an overview and picture of the biblical story. Now, the second resource that I prepared, and again, some of you have heard this, but I, I, I want to share it again, is for all of you artists and poets. Okay, we got a couple of you raised your hands. That's great. I wrote a poem a couple years ago called God's Story, and I want to read it again because this helps us to sit and listen and marinate in the truth of God's word and the story that he has told that you and I are a part of. I'm called God's story. Creation came to be of the greatness and goodness of God. But then there was a tree, a little bite, a little nod. His presence a gift, but with sin no more. God's people adrift, Satan now keeping the score. We were to be rulers, kings, and priests, bringing God's greatness and goodness to the west and to the east. But now we serve self, thinking we know best, frustrated and lost, now beating our chest. Yet the goodness of God, full of mercy and love, wouldn't let us die in the hole that we dug. From his grace, he called a man named Abraham, and from his family, a people, to fulfill his grand plan. His great-grandsons expand, forming 12 tribes, becoming slaves of Egypt, afraid for their lives. A deliverer named Moses, inadequate to the task, shows God's great power, leaving no questions to ask. The people released, held in bondage no more, only because of the Lamb's blood on the door. Yet they, as they walk through the waters and receive God's good law, they continue to grumble, complain, hem and haw. Even though God's presence is with them again, rebellion comes swiftly, doubting God's plan. Repeatedly distrusting, God still leads them with patience, bringing them to a land where they face great temptations. Judges and kings lead generations of folly, forgetting the Lord and leaving the people rather shoddy. But God called King David and gave him a throne. His descendant would be the true king whose glory has shown. Yet rebellion continued and Babylon attacked, dragging God's people off in a sack. Exile lament, God's people destroyed only a Messiah could redeem the sin they deployed. The prophet said, One day the Son of Man will come to restore the sinner and pay for the evil he'd done. 400 years of silence. Then the baptism of John. Heralding the true king, the coming of dawn. God's presence again brought near in a babe, displaying the great love our great father it gave. The king's message was simple. Repent and believe. All who are humble, new life to receive. 
God's restoration is coming. You're the first. If only you come to me, I'll satisfy your thirst. But the leaders of God's people rejected this king, handing him over. Crucify was their scream. His blood they spilled, his body they pierced. Sin's weight was heavy, the wrath was fierce. Darkness and gloom spread over the land. The Lion of Judah became the Lamb. His body they buried, his tomb they sealed. Not knowing God's plan, in three days he'd be healed. Then bursting forth, death defeated, sin gone. The king resurrected, new humanity is born. He gives us his spirit, God's presence in us, new creations, new self. All he asks is to trust. His message we carry, the good news of his reign. Surrender and be saved is the song that we sing. And until he comes back, a job must be done. The world is so lost, his people must be won. And when he returns, all things will be right. All creation again, wrapped in his light. A new heavens, a new earth, no more sin, no more curse. God's presence with his people forever immersed. Goodness restored, evil destroyed. Creation again, God's glory and joy. Let's pray. Lord, this is your story that you have written because in your sovereign plan, you and your, in your pre-existent, eternal, sovereign plan have determined that by your Son you would take on human flesh, speak your words of new creation, do the act of dying and rising from the dead to defeat sin, and death and purchase us by your blood and wash us clean to be with you again forever. Lord, let us see with great clarity the scope of your story, your word from beginning to end, creation to new creation, and the supreme act of Jesus being glorified in humility on a cross, pierced for us, and the majesty of your greatness and your holiness and power and justice known in your sacrifice for us that we would be with you. Lord, transform us by these truths. Call us to surrender to your name, to, to be asked for forgiveness for our sin and to trust in you by faith, to be a part of this story. That we wouldn't live by the worldview, the narrative of, uh, of this world around us that has cut you out of the picture and has severed ourselves from you and your whole scope of where history is going. Let us see with great clarity where things are headed and who is really sovereign and in charge. And that we would surrender to you as Savior and Lord. We love you, Lord God. Thank you for your grace in calling us to be part of your family. In Jesus' name. Amen.